Can I let you know that from time to time, a preacher's heart sinks within him or her? Can we go, Nick, can we go back six slides to the beginning of the gospel? I wonder if you've ever been asked a question that is well beyond your competence to answer. Maybe the question had something to do vaguely with something that you knew about vaguely, sort of on the subject a bit. But you knew that to make any kind of response uh, would be wrong to venture an answer. If anybody ever asked me a question about anything mechanical, it would be a complete disaster. The very opening verse of today's Gospel reading is such an instance in the life of Jesus. Teacher, bid my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Why would anybody ask Jesus a question like that? Was Jesus a lawyer? No, he was not. He'd never gone to college and been awarded a bachelor's degree in rabbi studies. But he was regarded popularly by people as a rabbi. And rabbis were knowledgeable chaps whose opinions were sought and respected. So this incident plays a spotlight on how Jesus was viewed by the general Jewish population as a rabbi, even though he had been a carpenter. And here's another thought to ponder. Three chapters later, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son who demanded his share of his father's inheritance. I wonder if the inheritance question addressed to Jesus in chapter 12 form part of the background to Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Hmm, good thought to ponder. But the inheritance question certainly prompted Jesus to give a little dissertation about covetousness that included the parable of the rich fool. Five chapters later, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus was confronted by the rich young ruler who was unable to let go control of his wealth and follow Christ. And it would seem that people who were in the upper financial echelons of Jewish society brought some questions and concerns to Jesus. Now the tenth of the Ten Commandments was a commandment about covetousness. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his. Covetousness is not a word that most of us have used in conversation in the last 48 hours, I reckon. It has dropped out of day-to-day English. It's been replaced by such words as avaricious, grasping and greedy. But we know that covetousness has got two main meanings. The first is an inordinate desire to possess an object that somebody else possesses. Covetousness is jealousy double plus. Jealousy over the top. Jealousy out of control. 
The second meaning of covetousness is inordinate acquisitiveness, the desire to have more and more and more, mostly wealth. But there's also a healthy aspect to jealousy as well. Shakespeare had a few references to jealousy, particularly in the two plays that we mentioned last week in the introduction to the sermon. In the play Othello, Iago says to Othello, Oh my lord, beware of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. And in The Merchant of Venice, Portia referred to green-eyed jealousy, how all the other passions flee to air, such as doubtful thoughts, rash embrace despair, shuddering fear and green-eyed jealousy. If you had been born in Shakespeare's time, you would have prayed that you did not have green eyes. Is covetousness a problem for us today? Is it a spiritual problem for God's people today? I think that it's less of a problem now than it was in Jesus' day. Nonetheless, we see instances of excessive jealousy that make us stop and think. It is possible to see a thing of beauty and to appreciate it and not to be jealous of the person who owns it and uses it. We all appreciate new cars, especially when ours has old age hiccups and makes other strange noises and groanings that it never used to and the Duco has had its day. And when we say, see the latest model sedan or SUV or sports car, it is perfectly possible to salivate quietly and appreciate its slick, neat lines, its gleaming Duco and say, that's a beautiful car. That's appreciation. When we go a step further and say, I wish I had a car like that, that's jealousy. When we go even further and say, it's unfair that he can have a car like that and I can't, that's covetousness. And when we take the next step and say, if I can have a car like that, then he or she can't, and take a key and run down the juco. That's criminal damage fed by covetousness. That's jealousy double plus. In the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother coveted his father's love and he was jealous of the attention and the fuss that his younger brother received on his return home. The older brother was due to receive everything that his father had in his share of the father's will. But he still had this inordinate desire for his father's attention and an inordinate, inordinate dislike of his wasteful, spendthrift younger brother. Couldn't even call him his brother. But when this son of yours returns, he's not my brother, he's your son. That's covetousness that affects relationships and that's what covetousness does. But there is a healthy aspect to jealousy as well. 
It happens when jealousy acts as a spur to us to do what has to be done so we can get our own article that the other person has instead of leading ultimately to criminal damage. Jealousy over a car can stimulate us to develop a budget, save our pennies, curb our spending on flippant things so that we can afford to purchase a car like that. Jealousy can spur us on to make the effort, put in the hard work, to be as good as someone whose efforts and hard work have paid off so handsomely for them. So there is a positive aspect to all of this as well. The second meaning of covetousness is inordinate acquisitiveness, the desire to have more and more and more, mostly wealth. And that was the point of Jesus' parable of the rich fool in our gospel reading this morning. Crops, more crops, and even more crops. Barns, bigger barns, and even bigger barns. I'm set up for the rest of my life, said the rich fool. And in the parable of Jesus, the rest of his life lasted just a few hours. Where had his acquisition of grain and barns got him in the end? And so Jesus said, so is the person who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There is an antidote to covetousness, of course. It's called thankfulness. It's called counting our blessings. And there are many people who do things really tough these days. Those people still recovering from floods in Queensland and northern New South Wales. COVID sufferers. People working inordinate hours and at a great strain level. People with chronic health issues. It's rather presumptuous and probably it is paternalistic and patronising for someone like us who are so comfortable in our lives to counsel others who are struggling, to look for what they can be thankful for. But it's a good exercise for all of us to take time to recognise the things in our lives that are good, to recognise the people who help us, to dwell on the memory of good occasions, to think about people like our family doctor who takes time to treat us, There are always things that we can be grateful for and help us to keep at bay jealousy and covetousness and their consequences. In the welcome sheet this week, I remind us all maybe of the the little um, chorus that we may have learned at Sunday school. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And I was thinking, what's the opposite of that? You know, it's count your grumbles, name them one by one. Count your grumbles, it will make you feel glum. Count your grumbles, name them one by one. And you won't be surprised that you feel so glum. But I didn't put that in the welcome sheet. (laughs) But for those of us who are Christians, the second half of a general thanksgiving from our prayer book for Australia has a very helpful set of words and I have got my fingers crossed that it's the next slide. 
And I think that maybe at the end of a little uh, dissertation on covetousness and count your blessings, maybe we could pray this together as our closing prayer for the sermon. So shall we pray? And we pray, give us such a sense of all your mercies that our hearts may be truly thankful and that we may praise you not only with our lips but in our lives, serving you in holiness and righteousness all our days through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honour and glory now and forever. Amen.